When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 98 of the Bird and Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Brian. Today's guest comes to us from our friends over at Interview Valet, and his name is Bill Ekstrom. Bill is the founder and CEO of Excel Institute, the world's first and only organization to measure and quantify leadership effectiveness. He is considered one of the world's top authorities in metric-based performance coaching and growth. In his book, which we'll be discussing a lot during this interview, The Coaching Effect, it is co-authored by Excel Institute President Sarah Wirth and helps leaders at all levels understand the necessity of challenging people out of their comfort zone to create high-growth organizations. Now, as you may be able to tell by that, this was a very interesting conversation uh, Bill has a lot of data to back up his ideas and his concepts, and uh, he's put them to work. He has a very nice uh, TED Talk called Why Comfort Will Ruin Your Life. He's been a keynote speaker, and he's just done a lot of great things in the world of leadership development. But with that, I'm not going to, uh, to give too much more away. I'm just going to stop talking right now, get out of your way, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Mr. Bill Ekstrom. All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. As I mentioned in the pre-roll bio, my guest for this show is Bill Ekstrom. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Earl, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, I really, uh, it's an honor to have you as a guest. Uh, you know, the folks heard your uh, your accomplishments uh, so far. And uh, I think they're very excited. If, if I were putting myself in their shoes, I'd be very excited to hear what you got to say. And especially how you're going to answer uh, that kind of foundational question of the show. What does the phrase burden of command mean to you? Uh, wow. I, I find it a little... Uh, I don't know. The, the, the word burden bothers me. Okay. I think it's an honor to lead. I think when we move into those roles, we accept and have an obligation. So I certainly understand where the term comes from by, you know, I, I, I understand the spirit of it, but I think to me, it's it's always an honor to command, not a burden. It's more of an honor to command, uh, to have that responsibility to to help people get to places they couldn't get to without you. So I I, I don't dislike it. I would just I like the term honor of command. Yeah, no, I mean that's a great uh, you know point of view on it. I mean because it is it is an honor to lead. Uh, it's an honor to to have those responsibilities you put uh, place on you. And that, that that faith 
uh, from people put in here. So yeah, I don't have a problem with that answer at all. I like that a lot. Good. Thank you. <laughs> um, now here's one of the things that I like. So, uh, your book, uh, that you co-wrote, uh, with Sarah Worth, uh, is the coaching effect and, you know, doing what we do, I'm sure you've heard this, uh, I'll say argument a lot about the kind of the minutia about the difference between managing and leading. But you mm-hmm. add a third term in there, coaching. Why coaching <laughs> versus managing and leading? So talk to us about coaching for a little bit. Sure. Well, we, we take a really science-based approach to mm-hmm. um, to our work. We're a research-based organization. The Excel Institute is. And when we looked at it all, of what creates most growth of teams. When we were looking through this, it, it just sounded more like a coach versus a leader. And when we studied the behaviors and the actions. Um, so a manager is quite frankly, in a very archaic term. And I think organizations quite frankly should drop it. You know, it's it's was it came about in the industrial era, the science and study of management. It's about processes and systems and consistent inputs and outcomes. And it doesn't account for emotion. It doesn't account for relationships. It doesn't account for the things that we know today matter most. Leader is. Um, I mean, there's so many definitions of leadership and there's so many views on leadership, so on and so forth. And, and none of them are wrong and most of them are right. But when it comes down to it, I believe, and, and the way most people define it is I can be a great follower with leadership behaviors and traits and characteristics to coach means I have a team of people that report to me. That's our differentiation. Great coaches know how to lead. Great coaches know what and when it's appropriate to manage. Great coaches know how to acquire, identify and acquire talent. I always think it's funny people will, when they talk about athletics, which We've started a division called Excel Sports now. Uh, when people talk about athletics, you'll hear people say, well, they're a great coach. They just don't have talent. <laughs> well, then they're not a great coach because great coaches make sure they have the right talent. Yeah. Um, and I think what people really mean is, is great coaches know how to strategize. Uh, they know when to motivate. You know, They literally have 100% accountability for the performance of the team of an individual or team of people. So that's, you know, that's how we look at coaching. You know, I love it. And, you know, my, my listeners have heard me talk about this before. Uh, my wife and I are big hockey fans. She's from Michigan. Uh, she's kind of a Red Wings fan. And we both follow the Predators, me being from Tennessee. And um, the actually the Predators and Red Wings were playing the other night. And just to kind of uh, reinforce your point there, they were talking about the current head coach of the Detroit Red Wings, Jeff Blaschel. And one of the announcers made a comment that said, you know, the Red Wings don't have the most talent on the team right now. But Blaschel has found a way 
to get them to play their style of hockey. And it's working out pretty good. That was exactly what the, the announcer said. And I think that is the epitome of kind of what you're talking about here right now, right? Well, it, it is because, uh, you know, it's, it's, when you take over a team, sometimes it takes a while to find who you are, to find your personality, to find that chemistry and, and bring in the right talent so everything clicks. But great coaches know that, and said so this is so so much so commonsensical, but yet we forget it. The power of the collective is greater than that, typically of any individual, especially when it comes to team sports. So you've heard it said many times, I may not have the best talent, but if I can create a great team, man, we're going to compete and maybe win all of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it. And it's, it's, you know, you're right. I mean, coaches, uh, part of the coach's job is getting talent, but the other critical piece is making use of the talent you have available. Uh, and, it, exactly. Uh, you know, it, to identifying talent, acquiring talent, developing talent, um, uh, the strategy that and how you play that talent uh, and then keeping them together. I mean, there's, of course, both in athletics and business, right? There's turnover issues. There's all kinds of factors that come together. But the coach, whether it's business, and, and we tell businesses all the time, quit calling them managers, call them coaches. And oh, by the way, see how many people now want that job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, that's that's because <laughs> words matter, right? Words matter. <laughs> Yes, sir. They do. Um, and we know when, when, you mean, I don't get to be a manager. I got to be a coach now. Yes. That, you know, oh, well, I might not want that, want that job. <laughs> Simon Sinek said was, he goes, you know, he goes, nobody ever wakes up in the morning saying, man, I hope I'm managed well today. They wake up and say, I hope I'm led well, or I hope I'm coached well. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, no, nobody remembers how they are managed, but you know, everybody remembers how they were coached. And if they do remember how they were managed, it's usually a very negative connotation, right? Yes, indeed. Yes, sir. It is. <laughs> but you know, the one thing there again about the coach that I, I like, I like what you said, and I'm sure you've seen it. Um, you know, sometimes that dud team is a dud team because of that person leading them, that person coaching them. And how many times have you seen an organization excel, uh, you know, go from what, what is you talking about sports terms here? They went from worst to first and all they did was change that coaching piece. That's not always the head coach. Sometimes it's changing that critical element, that critical team member that can fill that coaching role. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of things, you know, in our research, it shows that, that the biggest influence on what we, we, we use the term discretionary effort, and we talk about that in our book because that's a coach's role. It is to create discretionary effort. And I think that's what you're referring to, to some degree, if we look at it just from a coaching perspective, meaning that, yeah, why is it, you know, you can have one coach go away, bring in another coach, and we go from a winning team to a losing team or vice versa, a losing team to a winning team. And 
it's all because of what the coach does and their behaviors and and that concept of discretion in in a business it's the same as well if you've got a sales team that'll sell 10 million dollars on their own with without a leader or coach they better sell 12 or 14 million dollars with a coach or leader in there mm-hmm. otherwise what's that person doing so that's the role it is to create that discretionary effort and here's a scary statistic from our research 30% of people and I'll I'll just sometimes I'll use the term leadership coaching interchangeably 30% of the people in leadership roles don't create any or negative or they create negative discretionary effort meaning that the teams that they are coaching would perform at a higher level if they were gone and that sometimes is hard to grasp but we've seen it and then um i mean my goodness uh one of the greatest examples of that was jocko Willink. are you familiar with jocko oh yeah i'm a, I'm a big jocko fan okay well jocko and i did our ted talks at the same event same day okay so i had opportunity to spend a little time with jocko he's a fascinating gentleman he really is but his TED Talk was the same title of his best-selling book, uh, Extreme Ownership. Mm-hmm. And I read his, you know, obviously it was their first TED Talk. And then I read his book following that. And in his book, he talks about uh, during Bud's training. And they broke the team up into groups of seven or eight SEALs. And they were, uh, gave them all a rubber raft mm-hmm. uh, and put them through a series of on-land and, and at sea exercises. And there were roughly seven or eight teams comprised of seven or eight people. I'm paraphrasing this. Um, but here's what was interesting about it. Is there was, a, according to Jocko and Leif Babin, the co-author, there was a team, uh, well, let me back up for a second. The senior most sailor of each raft was accountable for obtaining information communicating the instructions for the contest and getting the team to execute them. When the contests were run, there was in the run multiple times, there was one team that won every single time. There was another team that lost, got last place every single time. And the others just kind of traded places in the middle. And so what Jocko said in his book was that they took the leader of the team that won every time and put him in charge of the team that lost every time and vice versa. And the results were surprising, yet not surprising. The team that lost every time then won every time with the new leader. And the team that won every time with the team that was in the person that was in charge of the last place boat, they didn't lose every time. Let me rephrase that. They didn't get last place, but they never won again. They just kind of drifted around the middle. Um, I remember Jack was saying in his book that they came to the conclusion that once they had experienced great leadership or great coaching, they were able to overcome bad coaching. But here's my point out of all that story is that the person that um, was originally in charge of the last place vote took over the team that had been winning every single time and they no longer won again. That leader created negative discretionary effort. 
The team had proven they had won every time. They just put in a new leader. They never won again. That's what I mean by negative discretionary effort. Yeah, and that's a great example. And yeah, I... Uh, Jocko is one of my, uh, I've got a list of what I call unicorn guests and Jocko is one of the people I'd love to get on the podcast, but you know, he's always, uh, that guy doesn't sleep literally. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's up at 334 every morning. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, so that's the fun, funny thing, right. Is like being a Marine, like I, I love, uh, uh, seeing all the SEALs get credit for this, get up early and do this and do that. I'm like, yeah, that was Marine Corps basic training there, guy. Come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You which, know, which is why I admire what you, by the way, um, and I did for the show, but I want to do it publicly as well too, Earl. Thank you for serving. Yeah, no, uh, for I appreciate country. it. It was my I mean pleasure. And, and, uh, I, and I mean, and I, I appreciate it. It was, it was absolutely my pleasure to serve the country and, uh, you know, I, I loved every second of it. And that's, you know, that's what I love uh, is, is you know, but it's, it's that kind of discipline that we're talking about here. You know, his his catchphrase, discipline equals freedom. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but that's it. You know, I, I get up at 4.30 in the morning every morning. I don't hit the workouts as hard as he does. I'll admit that part. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, those those things that you're talking about, right, the coaching and, and all that, 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 that's a lot of what military leadership is about. It's not about the yelling and the screaming and all that. It's about getting that that coaching piece. Um, and that story is, is great because, you know, we, we've seen that a lot. Uh, you know, another great book, I'm not sure if you've read, uh, David Marquet's Turn the Ship Around. Uh, no, I have not. Uh-uh. He, he talks about the same exact thing, but creating the the, disc, the discretionary effort, as you call it. Um, you know, he took over a, a, a submarine that he was not prepared to take over. They switched the submarine commands on him kind of pretty much last minute. Uh, I think because they identified that coaching ability in him. But the number one thing he did, just very uh, condensed version of the book, was he created an environment where it was okay for even the lowest ranking sailor. If he made, if, if David Marquet himself made a mistake, he expected them to tell him, you know, that they were, that he was making a mistake, not just do it. And he tells this great story at the very beginning of the book when he took over the the submarine. And, you know, if you've seen Hunt for Red October or mm-hmm. uh, Crimson Tide or any of those. All of those, yep. Yeah, you, you've seen that exchange, right, where the, mm-hmm. the captain or the XO, they'll give an order and whoever they give it to repeats the order and then, you know, the order gets executed. Well, he takes over the submarine and he gives an order to make some kind of maneuver and his XO just regurgitates that order like he's trained to. And he said, I noticed that the enlisted sailor who was actually have to do it was kind of froze at his station. And I'm wondering why my order is not getting executed. So I finally go over and I'm like, sailor, what's wrong? And he looks at me with this really scared look on his face. He says, sir, this submarine is not capable of executing that maneuver. He said, I turn around, look at my XO. He's like, did you know that the submarine couldn't make that maneuver? He's like, yes, sir. Well, then why didn't you tell me instead of relaying the, the order? Mm-hmm. You know, because the previous uh, person had been in charge, had created this, you know, this very leader-follower relationship. And he changed it to a follower-leader relationship where, hey, I want you to help lead me too. Mm-hmm. And so these are great examples that, that, that you know, you're bringing up here and, and uh, that, that the military uh, has 
but it's hard to get, sometimes it's hard to get the corporate world to realize that military leadership has value in the civilian world. Oh, oh there, you know, I think in so many ways, perhaps in every way, um, the emphasis on leadership or coaching, however you want to call it, in the military world is given way more um, it's it's done with more urgency. It's done with more research. It's uh, more. There's more investment in it because if things go south with leadership, there people die, mm-hmm. and that doesn't happen in business. Uh, so in business, it's you know it's it's just not. It's talked a lot a lot about. But it's not given a lot of emphasis. For example, you know, I know the military and and, and especially the SEALs uh, as well. There's a gentleman I'm friends with, uh, Lincoln, actually used to serve with Jocko. His name is Jack Riggins. He's a former commander. Um, And Jack talks a lot about mental and mindset, the mental aspect and mindset of their training. Um, Business doesn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, bi- business talks nothing about what happens above the shoulders. I'm doing a podcast this week with a psychiatrist, sports psychiatrist, Dr. Larry Widman. Um, and, w- and we're focusing on that. We're, tr- we're trying to help businesses understand part of what we do. Um, we're trying to help them understand how, how it's, it's so hard to become elite if you, if you have no idea what it takes. Mm-hmm. You know, what was what was that quote you said to Jocko, something about um, discipline is freedom or something like that? Right, yeah, discipline equals freedom. Okay. Well, here's what's interesting. And while I can't ever disagree with that, I never found discipline until I found mental, uh, better, uh, high-performing mental health. Mm-hmm. Then discipline followed. Oh, well, how come nobody ever taught me that, that it could work that way? So there's other ways to get there. And the mind really controls almost everything. Right. It, it does. And I mean, you just summed it up beautifully because, you know, that's the thing. Like a lot of people falsely believe that military leadership is just yelling and screaming and spitting and slobbering. And then people are just going to jump to because you have, you know, a shinier collar than they do. And Sure, that happens. But you know what we call those folks? Terrible leaders. The, <laughs> the, the great leaders are the people, you know, uh, never served with him, but just based off his stories, uh, are the people like the Jocko Willings, the Bill McCravens, uh, the General uh, Jeb Mattises, um, you know, people like that. Oh, don't forget General Schwarzkopf. He was my hero. Oh, yeah. Uh, Colin the Powell. Gulf War. You know, there, there's a lot of great folks that can be in that list. But the thing that made them who they are was empathy. And that's not a thing that people really readily equate to military leadership, but empathy and understanding and that mental well-being of, of your troops is critical. Uh, you know, we, we, would, our, we would say our, our primary and secondary objectives of the Marine Corps mission are mission accomplishment and troop welfare. And the great leaders knew that it wasn't one and two, it was one and one A, because without troop welfare, there's no mission accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's, I think to your point, it, for example, empathy. Empathy wasn't talked about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, in, in business. 
Who cared about people's feelings? You know, um, I'm not sure it was talked about in the military. I don't know. I didn't serve, but uh, but now you hear terms like empathy, and you realize how powerful it is in effective coaching and leadership. You hear about terms like psychological safety. You know, where was that 15 years ago when I was playing sports or actually wasn't 15 years ago, but you know what I mean? It's understanding those concepts. You talked about the, the, the gentleman on the submarine whose subordinate, they all felt free to speak up. Well, that's, it takes a psychologically safe environment to get that to happen. Yep. But nobody was studying that. So we know it's like everything else. It's like cancer or, or disease. We know so much more about it now. I mean, my goodness, look at the pandemic, look at you know, COVID. We know a lot more about COVID now than we did a year ago. Yeah. And we're silly if we don't think that applies to leadership. If we don't think that applies to people that, that, that coach teams. Um, and shame on those who don't believe that or who don't use what's available to them to grow. And that applies to athletic coaches, it applies to business leaders, it applies to teachers in the classroom. So here's where I'll show you how much of a Jocko fan uh, fan I really am, right? Well, (laughs) I agree with you, but like everything else, there's a dichotomy, right? (laughs) Um, Uh Yeah, no, we, we, we understand, I think we understand it at a much more academic level. Like, you know, for instance, uh, I know you all are heavily into matrix driven or metrics driven, uh, performance, mm-hmm. you know, but when you talk about empathy and stuff, right? We, yeah, they didn't call it empathy, but it was there. Uh, Carl von Clausewitz, uh, a hundred plus years ago, German world war one type. He wrote about empathy and understanding your folks in his uh, in his book on war. Um, you know, if you go back and look, Sun Tzu. You know, we're talking about twenty five hundred years ago now. You look at the stuff that Sun Tzu wrote in the Art of War. There's empathy. There's understanding. There's diversity. There's inclusion. All of those things are there. Um, it's just like you said, we do definitely have a much deeper understanding of the why, right? People well, kind of. But, but- Go ahead. You know, to, but, but to your point, you're right there, and and I appreciate you you saying those things because I'm gonna I'm gonna correct what I said because you are accurate. I was not accurate. It's more prevalent today. It, it's there were people. I mean, my goodness, look, look at a small example. One of my favorite quotes: um, "Man's search for meaning." Uh, the um, I'm drawing a blank. The author of that book. Um, I quote him all the time. I think I'm having a little stroke here. <laughs> I hate when I'll think of his name. But anyway, his quote, uh, which is between stimulus and response, they're uh, Victor Frankl, by the way. Yep. Uh, German uh, psychiatrist spent two years Jewish. He spent two years in a concentration camp. One of the very few that lived uh, to be able to share this kind of st- his story. But he says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. That's back in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. People are just, so many people are just unpacking that today and acknowledging, wow. And I think to your point, 
in the art of war and, and those examples you gave. You're right, it was back there. Is it always going to take us this long, Earl, to adapt? <laughs> you know, sadly, I, I think it is, you know, because we, we seem to make these uh, human society, not just American society, but, but just human society as a whole. We have this weird obsession with regression. Uh, you know, we, we love to make all these advancements and then somebody comes along that, that, that undermines that. And then we, we regress 20 or 30 years and then we rediscover these things and we find a new way to, uh, find a new way to, to describe them. Like, uh, my partner is going through his DBA right now and he's like, oh, they were teaching me this thing about, uh, leader member exchange. I was like, he's like, do you know what that is? I'm like, well, why don't you explain it to me and we'll talk, right? And he explains mm -hmm. it to me. Oh, so what they're talking about is relationship capital. That's what we called it like in the in the 90s, right? Mm -hmm. the same exact thing as relationship capital. Just now we call it leader member exchange. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, but the thing is, here's the good thing about it, right? Is the the more we understand, the more prevalent it becomes, the, the more we move those pieces. Let's say we move them 10 steps forward and now we only take three steps back. Versus how we used to be, where we take three steps forward and five steps back. So there's still yeah. growth. There, there is. There, there absolutely is. There's. It's interesting, but I can I can look at myself and I can be vulnerable enough and and self-effacing enough and realistic enough to say, you know, there's a gap between, or perhaps I'll even call it a chasm between intellectual understanding and emotional readiness. Mm -hmm. Some of these concepts, some of the things that I do today to continually grow, even at the age of 59, um, I look at myself and I think, you know what, my best work is still ahead of me. But the things, if even if somebody had showed these to me at 45, I'm not sure. I think I, I, well, I know I could have intellectually understood them. I'm not sure I would have been emotionally ready to put them to, into, into use in my life. And shame on me, but yet wonderful for me because I eventually found them, right? right. And I think that's the way it is for a lot of these things. Uh, empathy, you know, our work that we're doing in complexity where, you know, our idea that growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. When you tell people that, they're like, yeah, okay, makes sense. I get it. And then you explain, help them understand the education mind. Oh, makes perfect sense, you know. But yet, I still you you walk away, and everybody goes back, does the same things they've always done. Uh, there's the gap again: intellectual understanding versus emotional readiness. Yeah, and that's what one of the things that great coaches do uh, is they do their best to get their people emotionally ready to change but even if they don't they might give them a little shove right you know right into it anyway a hundred percent a hundred percent i'm glad you 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 went uh kind of did that nice little segue there about this uh, comfortability piece and the growth and discomfort because again uh you know i always get a chuckle with the seals uh owning that but that that was the whole purpose of bring core boot camp was getting you comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, and I say that, you know, okay, if any SEALs are listening, I love you guys. I really do. It's just, it's a thing of honor because, you know, the SEALs are one of the elite fighting forces in all of U.S. military. 
and the fact that the Marines and the SEALs share so much together is the bond that we have is kind of the, the warfighter piece there. But mm-hmm. like you said, discomfort, it's, it's huge because nobody ever accomplishes anything from a place of comfort because why would they, right? Well, if, right. And so we do, when, when we look at comfort, it is, and by the way, when we study high-performing teams, there is an element of comfort because you can't, first of all, let's, oh, let's take a step back. What creates comfort is predictability. Hmm. And so when I understand what the outcome's going to be, it, that's what creates comfort. I know inputs and outcomes. Does that make sense? Yeah. When I get those, I can be comfortable. What happens is when I don't know, discomfort comes when something changes, an input changes. Now outcomes are unpredictable. Now I don't know what's going to happen unpredictability is what creates discomfort. So that's how this that's how these things work together. In high performing teams, we know that you cannot people can't live a life of discomfort because typically they'll they'll tip into chaos or they'll fall back into extreme stagnation or something. Uh they can't live a life of a total discomfort. So you, there has to be some predictability in your life. That's what prepares you for those times of discomfort. You know, sans some of the extreme training um, in either athletics or, or military, you know, there's a reason you rest. Uh, there's a reason physiologically your body has to recover. Um, there's a, there there's, has to be that order involved in both athletic teams and business teams and everywhere else. Uh, so you're able to go into these states of discomfort in a healthy way and create the most growth. Exactly. No, it's exactly right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I like the way you, you put that with the input versus output and that's the comfortability because again, let's go back to those coaching examples, right? What changed was those team members didn't know what that coach, how that coach was going to react. And the way that coach reacted was completely different than what they were used to. And that created an immense amount of discomfort. And when you're under that amount of discomfort, you really only have two options, cave or become tougher and innovate to get out of that discomfort, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where the, the growth comes in. It's like lifting weights, right? The reason it hurts after you lift weights is because you have literally torn the muscles down and how they get stronger is by growing back and, and making those reconnections as they repair themselves. Right. Is it, it, that's exactly right. And I use that analogy at times when I'm doing speaking engagements or something, uh, it worked the whole discomfort concept that actually is, I, I if, if anybody wants to learn more about this it's I did a TED talk entitled why comfort will ruin your life and it's a 12 minute version where we go into this topic that we're on right now Earl but um, physiologically that's a perfect example we're creating discomfort. We're, 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 we're getting our body out of order. We're putting it into an, uh, what's called a complex environment. 
where outcomes, um, we have an idea what's going to happen, but in terms of physiologically, we're, we torn the muscle fiber. Muscle fiber grows back together. It gets stronger. But here's what's fascinating about that. What happens if you do it over the same way, Earl, over and over and over again? You tear the muscle. Well, you could do that or more damage, but you also can plateau. Right. That is doing the same thing over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. And eventually, and this is the beauty of this, our bodies adapt to it and they're going, hey, you know what? I don't want that discomfort. I'm not going to let it happen anymore. And you plateau. Yeah. So what was once complexity or discomfort then be, can become order. Yeah. And the growth occurs in an ordered environment. And the only way you can create growth again, change the input, change the routine, which is why personal trainers all will all tell you, right? Uh, we do a lot of different things. Why do you do it? To keep the body confused. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, that that's great. That is great. And that's, you know, that's something that's relatable. And, uh, you know, so you mentioned, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of backpedal a little bit, but kind of mm -hmm. tie it back in together here. So you mentioned that one of the things that uh, y'all do at Excel is you're very metrics uh, driven. And so... You have a lot of measurements on what effective coaching is and, and looks like and the impact it can have on the team. What are some of those dimensions of effectiveness look like? Uh, that's a really good question, Earl. So we'll take in a business perspective. You know, great um, coaches, well, they do, we'll, we'll break down four primary things. Number one, this is just the activity. Uh, they do a lot of things, by the way. But when we go through the research, there's four things they do that correlate most strongly to discretionary effort. Number one is they do consistent one-on-one -on -one meetings with the people on their teams. Number two, they provide documented feedback on at least a quarterly basis. Now, think about that. Not just normal feedback. I'm talking documented feedback. Mm. They do career development planning with people, everybody on their teams, and they hold consistent team meetings. So that's kind of the, uh, the, the activity. And while you're probably thinking, okay, gee, Bill, none of those are rocket science, right? <laughs> um, but here's, what, here's one of the things we know is uh, how often do they do them? Are they spending, you know, when they do one-on-ones, are they really spending 80% of their time with the bottom 20% of their producers people, or vice versa. In other words, am I leaving my top performing people alone and just really going down and help trying to get my bottom performers up? You know, okay, I hold a team meeting, but is it just me as a talking head relaying information? So it's the activity, but what's really comes next. So we call that the quantity of coaching that you do. And then there's the quality of coaching that you do. And here's what I mean by that. If you take somebody who's a horrible coach and say, hey, boy, I heard on this great podcast from Earl that I'm supposed to be doing one-on-ones with the people on my team, but I suck at it, <laughs> I could be creating negative discretionary effort. 
<laughs> so yeah. it's not just the activity, it's doing it well. So for example, when I do a one-on-one, what am I doing to create stronger trust-based relationships? What am I doing to create psychological safety? Am I, am I holding this person accountable to things they said they would do? Am I actively listening? Am I challenging, not just accepting, but am I asking questions and perhaps challenging some of the things they're saying to get them to think through it? So there's the activity and then the quality of the activity. And when we work with organizations, Earl, we measure both of those. How often are they doing those activities and are they they doing them well? And then we can actually grade them, score them. I love it. Well, and and again, uh, so uh, talking about tying things back together, uh, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this research or not. It's it's a few years old now, but uh, uh, Pew uh, published uh, their findings on uh, use the word gap earlier, this gap between when people are promoted into leadership slash management positions and when they receive their first formal training or, or coaching. Uh, have you seen that? No, but uh, I, uh, I am not. So I'm, I'm really curious. Keep going. Because yeah. we, we may have similar research. But I want to hear what you, you're going to say. Oh, outstanding. Well, heck, for all I, I know, it could be Pew, by the way, but not this piece of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, the, the short version of it is what they found. And this was like, there were several, uh, several thousand respondents across the globe, across multiple business industries. The average age someone is promoted into a leadership slash management role is somewhere around 32 to 34 years. Uh, And the average age they receive their first formal training, coaching, education on how to be a leader and or manager is somewhere around 42 to 44. Oh, my gosh. There's a 10-year gap. 10-year gap. Yeah. But... What I like about your approach and this coaching effect is, is if we all take that responsibility and we all get a little bit uncomfortable with doing what we're doing now and change how we operate and take that coaching responsibility, we can fill that gap in pretty doggone quick, right? Yeah, you, you absolutely you can. And thank you for, for bringing that up. Heck yes. That's, you know, that's, those are ridiculous numbers. I, I believe them because I see them all the time. I'm, but, and like I said, I'm not familiar with that research, so I'm glad you get it. You, you, you stated it. I, I could get on a soapbox right now. It's infuriating to put somebody in a role. So, so the idea behind becoming a coach or a leader within a team, within an organization, is your job is to get that, that team to a place or a level they couldn't otherwise achieve without you. Mm-hmm. Why would you wait 10 years to tell me how to do that? Why would you wait 10 months? That should be day one, day one training, day one, day one, I should be understanding what creates motivation, what creates discretionary effort. What are the things that the great leaders and coaches are doing? What are the things they're not doing? We should be literally, um, every leader in the country who's in any of these spots should be measured. They should understand the impact they're having on the people on their teams. And look what happens when we don't know. I mean, athletically, look, look what happened to the U.S. gymnastics coach. How horrendously sad that is for everybody involved because nobody took the time to really investigate. Mm-hmm. When we look at you know high school coaches across the country, so many are in trouble for inappropriate behavior, the way they treat uh, some of their student athletes. 
Well, sooner or later, and in business too, to not know when somebody on our team um, might be suffering from depression, to to not understand when a leader is is psychologically destroying um, uh, the safety within their teams. Well, I think that is um, that's not just horrible leadership. It's it's. I, I think organizations, I'm just struggling for the right words right now. They have a responsibility and accountability to let everybody know. And the leaders themselves, and they have a responsibility and accountability to both athletes as well as people in business to voice what they know about their coach. Now, you do this for all the right reasons. You go into this, you do it because I can get better if I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. That's the primary reason to do it. Not because of fear, but because of love. But if I'm not going to do it because of love, then you better do it because of fear. Don't don't leave it undone. Sorry about that. No, no. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) Preach. Uh, Because it's it's true. You know, I mean, um, and and just a quick correction here. I said Pew Research was actually Harvard Business Review that published that research. uh, Okay. uh, From from Zenger. and uh, I'll include a link to that article in the show notes. And uh, on that note, I'll include a link to your TED Talk on the show notes as well, because it is a fantastic talk. Uh, oh, thank you. But yeah, no, but, but you're absolutely right. And it kind of goes back to that old uh, that old adage, uh, the, the, the two uh, businessmen talking to us is, you know, what happens if I spend all my money training my uh, employees and they leave? And the other one says, what happens if you don't spend the money training your employees and they stay? Right. Yeah, but, well, I love that line, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that, I mean, that's kind of what we got here, right? And it's, it's if every, I mean, you, you and I agree with you that it shouldn't take 10 months, it should be day one. But I, I think in a lot of ways, and I'm sure you'll agree, that it should predate day one. These people shouldn't be in these positions until they're ready to be in the positions. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're, yes, that, that, that is true. I agree. And, and I applaud organizations. As a matter of fact, I'm uh, doing some work with the Sacramento Kings. To, uh, they have an emerging leaders program. Uh, we have mul- multiple kinds that have emerging leaders. Program. We don't do it for them. A lot of times we give them material. We help them with them. But, and I always applaud those companies because they're giving them an opportunity to, to understand what it takes. And if I'm working with an emerging leaders class, I know I'll do my job well if by the end of that class, one or two of the people go, hey, you know what? This isn't for me. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, I see what it takes. And to be great at coaching, you know, it, it or a great leader, there's only about four to five percent of people that are really have, have those great characteristics. So 95, 96 percent of the people need to find other work. Yeah, no, I'll agree. And, you know, I hate to keep going back to military leadership here, but, you know, because, you know, we do produce some turds out of military leadership training. It happens. Uh, But a lot of times it's kind of what you said. They're into it for the wrong reason. They want to chase rank. They want to chase power. They don't really care about leading and taking care of other people. But the one thing we do in the military that I, I think is great that not a lot of organizations do now, it's nice to hear that it sounds like Sacramento uh, Kings are doing something similar, but before you can get promoted to that next level, you have to take a, a course and essentially pass a test that says you are ready. 
You know, if you, mm-hmm. before you go from Lance Corporal to Corporal, you have to take the Corporal's course and pass. Uh, before you go from Corporal to Sergeant, you have to go through the Sergeant's course and, and pass. Uh, that's part of your progression is is preparing you to take that next step. And it's huge. It, it is. And, and I applaud the military for doing that because not everybody should take that next step. Yeah. And, and in, in business, we always think that, hey, growth means I'm working up a hierarchical ladder and nothing could be further from the truth. If I'm in sales, I could become a great salesperson and, and never have a desire to coach sales. Yeah. And, and I think if the same has to be true in, in all of our worlds. I can be a great engineer. That doesn't mean I have to lead engineers. Doesn't mean I have to coach engineers. I can just be a great engineer. I can be a great architect. Um, I don't need to be a coach of architects. You know what I mean? So that's, I think, how we need to view our roles moving forward is we need to grow within our role. And if that takes me to a leadership or coaching spot, so be it. Exactly. I love it. I love it because I think that's where most people end up the most miserable uh, in their jobs is when they believe that they have to chase that corner office. They have to be in the C-suite or they're a failure. It is perfectly acceptable to find that place that you love and that you can exist and you can be happy, healthy, and productive and be there. Yes, I, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. And that's and, and that gets back to you know uh, some of uh, um, that quote I used earlier between stimulus and response. Hey, did, you know, I don't have to to be happy is a mindset. I don't have to be somewhere to be happy. Yeah. Exactly. And it goes again, back to that discomfort piece. That's one of the values of, of, of discomfort is it helps you truly appreciate comfort. Uh, <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you, you, you don't know how miserable things can be until you see how miserable things can be. And it's, uh, you know, I share this story. One of the places I live, I was fortunate enough to live in my life is a little town called Bethel, Alaska. And every year, uh, sometime around the end of December, uh, the cold spell would set in and it'd get down to 30, 40 below and it'd sit there for about three or four weeks usually. And then it would warm up to zero and, <laughs> and people were running around myself included wearing shorts and short sleeve shirts because once you've been in 40 below weather, zero is just amazing. But you had to go through that discomfort of minus 40 to appreciate zero. That's, that is, that's very well said. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I have lived that, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that, that, I love it. I love it. Where, where did you get, uh, you talk about those types of temperatures? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're at, I got to Oh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Uh, three weeks ago in Lincoln, it was minus 38. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. That's that's the and, and it's cold. I mean, I don't care how you slice it. You can call it a dry cold or whatever, but minus thirty yeah. is cold. It is exactly. Yeah. So but, yes, I've I've lived on all the extremes, and um, I've been blessed to have uh, been a part of all of those too. Well, speaking of being blessed, Bill, 
we've been speaking for about 50 minutes here and I've been blessed by every second of it. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And, uh, I really hope that folks have enjoyed the conversation we've had so far and, and go and, uh, and pick up a, a copy of the coaching effect and check out the links that I'm already going to put in the show notes. But I got to ask, uh, you know, I know we covered a lot of ground here, but is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you'd like to leave the listeners with before we work to close out here? Uh, take the, yes. I'll t- uh, one quick thing. Take the time every morning to be grateful and, mm-hmm. and don't just think it, write it down. Take the time every morning to write down three things for which you are grateful or three things that make you smile and watch what that can do to your day. Mm. Um, I will tell you this. Your team deserves it from you. Your family deserves it from you. And you deserve it for you. So take the time to do that. And that would be my parting wisdom to everybody. Well, that's that's great parting wisdom. I love that. That's a great action item. And I'm going to challenge all my listeners, take Bill's action item and uh, you share it with us. You know, share those things on social media um, and, and, and let us know what are those things that you are thankful for? What are those things that are keeping you moving? Um, and on that note, what's a good way for folks? Uh, they've, they've listened to this. They, they love what you have to say. They want to find out more about uh, Bill and Excel Institute and the book and reach out to you on social media and book you for events and all that great stuff. Mm-hmm. What's a great way uh, for them to do that? Well, for, uh, my I have a personal website called BillExtrum.com, so they can go there. Uh, our company is Excel Institute, which is E-C-S-E-L-L Institute.com. Coming soon is the excelsports.com site for that business. And um, as you said, the coaching effect is on Amazon. It's in Barnes and Noble. It's in all those places. And I am on LinkedIn. I am on Twitter and I am on Instagram. And when people connect with me, I love it. And I know that sounds weird, but I do. So feel free to connect with me. Ask me a question. After the TED Talk, I had, well, I think probably one of the things I'm most proud of is I had hundreds of people reach out to me personally. They found me either on LinkedIn or they found me uh, at the time on Facebook, although I'm not there anymore. Um, they found me on Twitter. Everybody who reached out to me personally, I responded. And so if anybody out there wants to beg a question or ask me something, I will. you, you will hear from me. So... I want to thank you, Earl, for that opportunity. Oh, no, that's amazing. And, and uh, I, you know, I'm just appreciating, you know, thank you for the opportunity of uh, coming on the show and having this great discussion. Uh, I have no doubt that uh, we've helped at least a few people by just having this conversation. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. If I can touch lives, I'm all about it. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Absolutely. And listeners. Uh, thank you for spending the time with Bill and I, whenever you're watching this morning, afternoon, uh, in the shower, whatever it is. Thank you for spending that time with us and, uh, you know, take that challenge, uh, seriously. And I mean it, share those things with us on social media. Um, be sure that if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for me, you reach out at burden.command at gmail.com. 
Uh, keep doing what you've been doing with rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show with folks you know. So great guests like Bill uh, can get their messages spread further and wider and globally. Uh, you all have been doing great with that responsibility, and I really appreciate that. Uh, just keep it up. Thank you very much, and I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electric Acid Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electric Acid to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.